Welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. On today's episode, we are having continuation of last week's episode. So I will once again be talking about the Olesnovich family. This week, instead of focusing on Frank, we will be turning our attention to Ella and Joseph. Jenny is back. Hi, I'm so excited, so invested in this. I can't wait to hear what else happens. So I did look into the family itself. So I looked up their census record to see just exactly how many children there were since it is three siblings that appear in the mugshot records. Right. So according to the 1900 census, Theodore, who I mentioned last week as turning his son in, was married to Anna and they had eight children. Okay. Theodore, the father, worked as a tailor, and it is noted that he was a respected resident in Scranton. Mm. In terms of the children, they had a son named Anthony, who was the oldest. Frank was next, and then Ella. Joseph, who I will also be talking about in this episode, was the fifth child born in the family. The rest of the children, there's not really anything that comes up about them. Um, except for Anthony, who was the oldest son, who it's mentioned Frank might have worked with to commit arson. Hmm. But I wasn't able to find the article about him, so I don't know what went on there. Hmm. I'm going to start today's episode by talking about Ella and then go into Joseph. So Ella Olesnovich was arrested for larceny. Her mugshot photo shows her with their hair up in the style of the day, where it's like kind of the poofy. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing a dress with frills, and she accessorized with a necklace, like a long necklace, and then a brooch at the collar of her dress. Classic. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Ella worked for King Miller, who was a local tailor. Mm. He began to be suspicious of Ella when she was sent to return an overcoat to a man in Greenridge. When she returned, she claimed that she had not been paid because a man wanted more work done on different items of clothing that he had. And she said that he would pay for everything altogether. Mr. Miller then went to the customer's house and discovered that Ella had been paid and there was nothing else that needed to be done. Hmm. So while Mr. Miller was visiting the customer, Ella walked out of her job with $214 worth of items, including two ladies' coats, a ladies' suit, a ladies' skirt, six yards of dress fabric, and ostrich plumes that are used for hats. Wow. And it was real ostrich feathers. It sounds like Ella has good taste, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. All of the items, except for the hat plumes, were items left by customers to be cleaned at King Miller's store. Mm. So when the police checked the Olesnovich family home, they were informed that Theodore and Anna did not know where their daughter was and hadn't heard from her. So if I can interrupt. Yes. She works at a different tailor than what her father owns? Yes. Oh, mm. I wonder why. Why do you think? That, well, I don't know. You wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why am I asking? <laughs> Anyways, I just think that, that that's that she wouldn't work for her father. That's interesting. I mean, he might have not had a position open. That's true. Okay. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. They did have eight children, so. Yes, this is also true. Okay. I don't remember if I have anything else in here. 
about it. I don't mm. think so. It never really was explained. She just did it. The newspapers, in an effort to help find Ella, described her as dark complexioned with a Roman nose and about five feet, five inches tall. But after stopping at the family home, the police tried searching one of Ella's friend's houses, but they missed her by a few hours. She then turned up on October 18th in a boarding house on Lackawanna Avenue, where she was found by Lieutenant Palmer and Patrolman Savitz. When they searched her trunk, they discovered that it was filled with all the items she had stolen. Ella confessed to stealing the items from Mr. Miller, and she also confessed to organizing the robbery by lying to King Miller about visiting the customer. She was given a police court hearing on October 19th and pled guilty. Her bail was set at $500 while she went to jail to await her trial date. It is interesting to note that the Scranton Republican gave a description of her outfit in the coverage of her hearing, (laughs) as they would back then. Mm. She was described as being dressed in a gown of Alice blue and wearing a picture hat with flowing ostrich plumes. Mm -hmm. So Alice blue is the traditional like Alice in Wonderland blue. They just call it Alice blue because it's that. So it's kind of like a cerulean kind of Yeah, like the light. Yeah. Mm. Oh, the light blue. blue. Okay, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, at least the day that she was being arrested, she looked good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to go down, go down looking good. Okay. Yep. The exact penalty she received is unknown, but an article on April 30th of 1909 stated that she had been released with just a fine because King Miller did not want to press charges. Oh, I wonder why. I think mm. I read somewhere else that he just kind of felt bad for her. So he was like, um, no, I won't yeah. press charges against you, even though you stole $214 worth of merchandise that was for other customers. Yeah, I wonder if she was, you know, generally an, an, a nice yeah. person or just a likable person. Just, you know, sticky fingers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The same article that I found this in recounts another theft charge that Ella had put against her. Ella and John Klein had attempted to rent a room for a week in a boarding house called the Willits on Linden Street. Since there weren't any rooms available, they agreed to spend the night in Mrs. Willits, who was a proprietor of the property's room, and then stay the rest of the nights in a regular guest room. So Mrs. Willits gave up her room Hmm. to let them stay there. And then they were just going to move into a different room. Okay. The pair left at about 4 p.m. on a Thursday rather than staying the entire week. And the proprietor became suspicious. Hmm. Mrs. Willits discovered that clothing and jewelry had been gone through in almost every room upstairs in where the boarding part of it was. And Mrs. Willits herself discovered that she was missing jewelry, trinkets, and clothing that were worth almost $100. What? Expensive taste, the cellar. Yeah. Mm. Mounted policeman Peter Merker, so he had a horse. Yeah. All right. All right. Was called, and he arrested the pair as they were on On horseback. Yeah, I mean, I imagine he yeah, probably yeah. rode up on horseback <gasps> and arrested them. Okay, I got it. I got the picture. Yeah. I mean, it's 1907. So yeah, it's, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it would be impressive to see today. Yeah. Do, yeah. Uh, does the Scranton police today have I horses? I feel like it's so, uh, 
I feel like they do. They have like a few, but I could be wrong. Or they did very recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of remember seeing them. Yeah. But I can't say 100%. Hmm. If anyone knows, definitely write in or call us and yeah. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. So when Peter Marker arrested Ella, she confessed to the crimes and proceeded to show the officer stolen waistcoats that she had hidden under her skirt. Ella, or Klein denied any involvement and he did not know about the crimes and that it wasn't his fault, but Ella claimed that he was the mastermind behind (laughs) the robbery. Mm. Even though the police did not find any of the stolen items on Klein, they believed Ella's story and arrested him as well. (gasps) The Scranton Times reported that after the pair were put in separate cells, Ella and this is a quote, tearfully pleaded for another chance, declaring that she would be willing to go to Poland to live with her grandmother if liberated. The police did not believe her, and they went to prosecute for the thefts. Yeah, definitely crocodile tears. Yeah. Um, Especially since she has the history of also stealing from Mm -hmm. King Miller's tailor Mm -hmm. shop. So this is kind of a side note. But in a newspaper article published on May 20th, 1909, that deals with the case, it begins with Dan Cupid stands between pretty Ella Olesnovich of South Scranton in prison temporarily, and she is relying on him to prevent her from going to prison under the plea of guilty to the charge of larceny. So then the article continues about her trial, and I will get to that next. But I was just confused about Dan Cupid, so I looked into it. Okay. And Dan Cupid was the name that was given to Cupid, the god of love, the little baby with the arrows. Yeah, 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 yeah. Starting in 1525, he started to be called Dan Cupid for some reason. Wait. (laughs) Wait, 1525? Yep. Wait. Is the first known instance of Cupid being referred to as Dan Cupid. Why Dan? I don't know. Dan Cupid. Not Daniel, but Dan. Dan. Okay. Okay. So it was kind of lost for a few centuries and not in common use. So she made this. Wait. I'm so confused. So in popular culture, they gave Cupid a first name of Dan. Okay. And it came back in the early 19th century. Okay. And then it's back out of popularity now. Okay, okay. But there were songs and advertisements about him that referred to him as Dan Cupid or Little Dan. Little Dan! (laughs) So it'd be like, Little Dan is coming to visit this couple, so they fall in love. (laughs) And he was on Valentine's as like, Little Dan. And it was a whole thing. Okay. It's not popular anymore, and I had never heard of it. Yeah. And But now that's a fun bit of trivia I found. <laughs> wow. Okay. I found, like, a brief history of it, which I got this from, and I believe it was an Arkansas newspaper. Uh-huh. Because they looked into it. Really? Yeah. And I guess it was popular more in the Midwest when it did come back to popularity. Okay. And... They still have some, like, remnants of it. But, yeah, Dan Cupid, they just gave Cupid a first name. Wow. (laughs) So it's just Dan Cupid, God of love. God of love. All right. Yep. Good old Dan. 
Okay, so back to the court hearing. Okay. <laughs> Enough about Dan. Yeah. In Ella's court hearing that was reported in the article from May 20th, her attorney, Frank E. Boyle, who also represented her brother in his pardon hearing. Right, right, okay. Um, said that Ella was guilty, but should have her sentence suspended because she got engaged to be married to another tailor that lived in New York City, and they were to be married in June. Mm. So that's where Dan Cupid comes in. Oh, now it all makes yeah. sense. Okay, okay, okay. And then he said the reason her and John Klein, who was not the person she was engaged to, oh. had gotten a room at a boarding house was because she had previously been in New York with her fiancé. So I don't know what was going on between Ella and John Klein, but they were in the city together uh, trying to get a room at a boarding house. Uh, oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Judge James O'Neill decided to continue the case for a few days in order to investigate if Ella was actually engaged. Well, right, because there, she could say she's engaged mm-hmm. and come up with this whole grandiose idea when really it's just a, a story. On May 22nd, the Scranton Truth reported the findings. Frankie Boyle stated that Ella's fiancé had refused to marry her after she had been arrested. <gasps> but Ella disputed this to the newspapers by stating that she was the one that decided to call off the marriage, <laughs> telling a reporter, he wants to marry me when I get out of the scrape, but I'm satisfied we can never live happily together. I love Ella. <laughs> <laughs> she blamed everything on going to a Nicolette with John Klein before declaring that she believed reformatories were a joke as, quote, People should not be punished for doing wrong because they will not reform unless they exercise their willpower. Before continuing, I have decided to reform and they do not need to send me to a reformatory. Mm. Um, She was. So it was reported the following week that she was taken to the reformatory by a county sheriff. Oh. And then I'm not sure what happened to her after that point. And that's it. That's it. The end. Yep. My heart feels so, I, I don't even know. I tried to look to see if there were any mention of her again, and there really wasn't except in her brother Joseph's crimes. Mm. Not that she was explicit mentioned, but in the articles about Joseph, it was like his brother Frank was arrested for the crime spree that took place years ago, and then his sister Ella was arrested on theft a few months ago, like that sort okay, of thing. Okay, so probably stuff that you already went over. Yeah. That. Oh, okay. Yeah, so nothing, I don't know what happened to her. But it is a really great story. It is. And I, I want to be led to believe that she on to great things or yeah. some kind of crazy mischief that mm-hmm. it would be. Yeah. yeah, but I couldn't find anything, well, sadly. Yeah. So now I will talk about... The third Olesnovich sibling that was arrested during this time, and that was Joseph. In his mugshot, which is only 10 after his sisters in the sequence. Oh, so 10, what do you mean? Um, let me pull it up. So each of the mugshots are numbered. Oh, okay. So let me pull up my notes here because I have it marked down so I could go to the mugshot to give the description for right, you. Right. So Ella Olesnovich's mugshot was number 481. Okay. And Joseph's was number 491. 
Okay. Okay. So there are only 10 apart. Okay. In his, he is seen wearing a tie with a question mark tie pin in it and a pattern tie. It looks like a paisley sort of pattern. And there were no descriptions of hair color or eye color, but the newspapers state that he is 16 years old. He also looks very similar to Frank. Mm, Okay. Okay. Like you could definitely see that they're related. They look like copies of each other. (laughs) These kids, they seem like they're very uh, fashion forward and they, you know. The question mark pin. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. It had like sparkly jewels in it. Oh. And it was kind of like a swirl with like a little teardrop yeah. trap going at the Where bottom. would he have gotten this? He definitely looked at this <laughs> from someone. Sparkly jewels. Yeah. Come on. Well, he didn't straightforward steal anything. He, he didn't? No, he dealt with forgery. Oh. Okay. But who's so, to say so that one of the siblings didn't steal it? Right. Or he forged a check to buy said question mark. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Joseph was arrested by Special Officer D. Pickham of the First National Bank for passing forged checks. A few days before the incident where he was arrested occurred, Joseph had cashed a check for $30 at the bank and left with the money. And then after he left, it was discovered that the check was a fake. So when he came back, after being like, I got away with the first time, mm-hmm, so went back mm-hmm. to the same thing. Naturally. They recognized him and caught him. So he only did it twice. Yeah, as okay. far as everyone knows. Okay. Both checks were signed with the name Louis Levy. <laughs> and Levy was the name of a merchant who worked for a store on Penn Avenue. So he used an actual person's name. And he tried his best. Such a novice. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So while being interrogated by police, Joseph confessed to the act of the crime, but denied that he forged the checks himself. But he refused to give up any names of who may have forged the check. A short time later, it was reported that Joseph claimed that James Burns had forged the checks. And then he was arrested Jimmy Burns was. Yes. Okay. The article that talks about James Burns being arrested was published in Scranton Truth, and it also states that Burns was an amateur tattoo artist <gasps> who was responsible for many of the tattoos on boys throughout the city. See, mm, I'm feeling that, okay, who's a likely person I can pin this on? Let's go with the tattoo artist. They'll definitely think he's a man of crime. Okay. Go on. And that's basically what happened. See? <laughs> the police soon learned that Burns could not have possibly forged the checks mm-hmm. because he was in the county jail the day that the crimes were committed. What did he do? I'm not sure, but he was in jail, so he couldn't forge that. But just someone else pinned something else on him. This poor guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's just trying to make a living. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so... I wonder if James Burns, though, we do have mug shots where they mention tattoos. And I'm going to cover some of those in a later episode. Mm. But some of my favorites that really stand out yeah. are there were a, quite a Can few. Did you say something about legs? Yes. There was a series of mug shots like, dispersed throughout yeah. where everyone had like women's legs just tattooed on their arm. Uh-huh. like Not like a full portrait of a woman, right. just legs. 
Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like the like Sailor Jerry type deal. Yeah. yeah. That they, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people had their like initials or like their yeah. name yeah. tattooed. Yeah. But yeah. legs. Legs. There has to be something else. There has to be a story behind this. I know. And I tried to research like what tattoos of legs mean and I couldn't find mm. anything. Interesting. But I want to know what they look like. Yeah. Because all the mugshots don't show the tattoos because yeah. everyone's like in coats. Okay. So yeah. we don't get to see them, but they tend to mark them on the back of the mugshots. Oh. And so how many did you see that had that sort of tattoo? Not, Was there a considerable amount? I think like two or three. Okay. Right. But tattoos in general, I'd say there was about 10 to 15 of them that have like in the remarks section mentioned tattoos. Mm. Okay. So I wonder okay. how many Jimmy Burns did. You know, and I love that and we're not calling Jimmy too. <laughs> like we're connected with Jimmy. Um I don't know how many uh, tattoo artists there were in the Scranton area in nineteen oh six. Yeah, in nineteen oh six. Or was he like the go to for ink? Yeah. You know? I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. After they cleared him new evidence in the form of a third check that was found well after they cleared james burns james burns okay yeah. a third check was found in joseph's handwriting and he broke down and confessed that burns had not forged the checks and that he was responsible so he was <gasps> caught in his lies yeah. all of that joseph would serve six months in jail before being released and then two days after he was released, he was caught trying to pass another forged check at Traders National Bank for $21. He was then rearrested, and at, after that, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, but that's... Very interesting. Yeah. I love these. Yeah, the, I love the that's all. <laughs> the Lesnovich family crime wow. stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, who do you... I, I feel like Ella was really, I don't know... I want to Legendary. know more about Ella. I want to know yeah. more about Ella, too. I feel like there's so much more of her story. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. thank you so much for Yeah, thank you for me. I loved this. Yeah. Thank cool. you for agreeing to be on these. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed them. Next week, we will be covering Women in Crime. It is a shoplifting ring, and that will be a fun episode. So, um listen back if you have any questions comments suggestions or anything at all or if you know if the scranton police department does in fact have horses yes. please let us know yes. you can contact me at a at albright.org that is a l-o-n-e-y at albright.org or you can call the library at 570-348-3000 thank you thanks guys mm-hmm.